1857, an East London street saw the most bizarre spectacle. This was a tiger walking down the street with a crying boy between his jaws. to the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I'm Steve, your host. Our present Queen, Elizabeth II, is famous for owning corgis and horses, but what many people don't know is she's owned much more exotic pets in her lifetime. These, of course, have been gifted to her, and they include a pair of pygmy hippos and an African elephant called Jumbo. Other gifts during her reign include an anteater, six kangaroos, giant tortoises, black jaguars, a giant sloth, and numerous crocodiles. Needless to say, Her Majesty has donated all to zoos, although one suspects if Buckingham Palace ever has an ant infestation, the anteater might be recalled. But the Queen isn't by a long way the first royal to own such animals. The ownership of dangerous and exotic animals goes back over 900 years and we see the Tower of London being the site for London's first menagerie. In 1235, the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II sent Henry III three leopards to mark his wedding to Eleanor of Provence. The Emperor's sister. A lion was next to arrive, followed in 1252 by a polar bear, together with its keeper, both gifts from Hakon IV of Norway. And the muzzled and shackled polar bear would be led from the tower and tethered to the Thames river bank, from where it would fish for food and wash itself. And if the bear was a sensation, Even greater things were to come. In 1255, Louis IX of France gave Henry an African elephant, which arrived at the tower by boat, the first of its kind in this country. The contemporary chronicler Matthew Paris even left his abbey at St Albans and travelled to London to see the spectacle. He wrote, The beast is about ten years old, possessing a rough hide rather than fur, has small eyes at the top of his head, and eats and drinks with a trunk. The menagerie continued to grow, and to this end we see Sir Christopher Wren, the architect of St Paul's, in 1672, begin supervision of a new lion house. But not everyone was impressed with the animals. In Stowe's Survey of London, Stowe finds that, quote, the animals have a rank smell which hath so affected the air of the place that it hath much injured the health of the man that attends them, so stuffed up in his head that it affects his speech, 
Throughout the centuries, the collection grew and it included all manner of wildlife such as camels, porcupines, blind squirrels, panthers, tigers and even a grizzly bear named Martin. But the collection of ferocious beasts was not without dangers, with many tales of horror including the following. In 1686, a lion mauled Mary Jenkinson, a Norfolk maid living with the lion keeper. It was decided to amputate her arm in order to save her life, but she died a few hours later. In the 18th century, a baboon being shipped to the tower picked up and hurled a nine-pound cannon shot at a boy sailor and killed him. And one keeper had a very lucky escape. Two other keepers heard screams and came running. Keeper Alfred Cox, while feeding a bird to a boa constrictor in a bid to entertain visitors, soon found the snake wrapped around his own neck. Luckily for cops, it was removed just in time. By 1831, the tower was deemed no longer fit to house such a collection and a decision was made to give the entire collection to the Zoological Society of London, which would make space for them in its Regent's Park, where the society had established its zoo. Harrods is, of course, a famous department store in West London, but between 1917 and 2014, they had a pet kingdom, and the public could phone up and order any manner of wild beasts, from lions, tarantulas, to cobras. Even movie companies would call on them when seeking animals. The playwright and actor Noel Coward was bought an alligator for Christmas in 1951. And in 1967, the future US President Ronald Reagan phoned to order a baby elephant, which was to be called Gertie. The 1976 Endangered Species Act saw the end of the exotic side of their business, but they still had a steady trade in household pets until the pet kingdom was closed in 2014 and turned into a women's wear section. And I have it in good authority that leopard print remains a bestseller. Charles Christian Jamrak was born in Hamburg in 1815. He was a dealer in wild and exotic animals and birds who, with the help of his father, established a vast business trading and supplying wildlife to zoos, menageries, circuses and museums across 19th century Europe. After his father's death in 1840, Jamrak moved to London to take over the British side of the business. The business included a shop and a museum named Jamrak's Animal Emporium on the Ratcliffe Highway and a menagerie on nearby Bet Street. Bet Street, which no longer exists in that name, ran off Ratcliffe Highway near Commercial Road, East London. An infamous historic crime called the Ratcliffe Highway Murders also occurred there that I might cover in a future episode. And the name Radcliffe literally means Red Cliff, referring to the red sandstone cliffs which descended from the plateau in which the road was situated 
down to the Wapping Marshes to the south. Most areas so familiar to Londoners now in which we work, live and socialise were essentially marshes, fens and forests when the Romans first built London Bridge. But back to the story. The Emporium attracted many curious visitors and the spectator described the Emporium as an exciting place to visit, going on to note. The passages between the two stories of cages were narrow and to walk down them was occasionally like running the gauntlet. Furtive paws were darted out between the bars and made grabs at the passerby and one might find one's coattails being hung onto by a playful puma while turning around to ask a question. With an ever-growing list of A-list customers and contacts, including the London Natural History Museum and the recently opened London Zoo, Jamrak's company was becoming more and more successful. And it was this point when, in 1857, he acquired what was going to be a star attraction, a fully grown Bengal tiger, shipped to England from the East Indies. On the morning of October the 26th, the tiger, alongside a delivery of other big cats, arrived at the Bet Street Menagerie. It was held in a large crate which had three solid wood sides and thick iron bars across the front. Jamrak himself had decided to oversee the tricky procedure of moving the tiger from its transport crate and onto its enclosure and he asked that the crate be positioned so that the open iron bars were placed against the wall of the yard while the tiger's enclosure was being prepared. They were proceeding to take down a den with leopards when all of a sudden I heard a crash, Jamrak later recalled, and to my horror found that the tiger, in putting its forepaws against the iron bars in front of his den, had exerted its full strength to push with his back against the boards behind, and thus succeeded in gaining his liberty. And the tiger was now walking down the yard and into the street, which was then full of people who had been watching the arrival of this curious merchandise. As if it wasn't disastrous enough, the situation quickly went from bad to worse when the tiger spotted a nine-year-old boy who had reportedly put his hand out to stroke its back as it strode past, and he snatched him up with his jaws. The tiger seized him by the shoulder and ran down the street with the lad hanging in its jaws. This was done in less time than it takes me to relate. Jamrak then took off after the child and the tiger. When I saw the boy being carried off in this manner and witnessed the panic that had seized hold of the people, without further thought, I dashed after the brute. Amid crowds of pedestrians fleeing for their lives, Jamrat caught up with the tiger and threw itself on its back and grabbed it by the scruff of the neck. The tiger tossed Jamrat to the ground while still keeping the boy in its jaws. And Jamrat tried a second time to stop the tiger, this time by tripping it up. And it actually fell to the ground. Jamrak knelt on its back and forced his hands around its neck. One of his workers from his yard ran over 
and struck the tiger over the head with a crowbar. And dazed, the tiger dropped the boy from its jaws and promptly turned on Jamrak. At the same moment, Jamrak seized the crowbar himself and gave the tiger, with all the strength he had left, a blow over the head. And the tiger seemed to be quite cowed and turned tail and ran back towards the stables, which were fortunately still open. And Jamrat drove him into the yard and closed the doors at once. The boy was rushed to a nearby hospital where, despite his ordeal, it was discovered that he'd suffered little more than a few scratches. In the aftermath of the escape, the boy's father sued Jarmac, who was so forced to pay £60 compensation and legal costs of £240, or about £5,000 and £20,000 now. The judge in the trial, although aware he had to pass a harsh sentence for such a potentially dangerous accident, reportedly sympathised with Jarmac and commented that he ought to have been rewarded for saving the life of the boy and perhaps that of a lot of other people. As for the tiger, he was later sold to George Womwell, the owner of a famous Victorian travelling circus. He cashed in on the whole affair by exhibiting the creature as the tiger that swallowed the boy. In Bram Stoker's most famous of novels, Dracula, Jarmac is mentioned as the provider of a grey Norwegian wolf to the London Zoological Gardens, which subsequently escapes. Well, that's it for another episode of the Historical Crimes and Criminals podcast. I hope you enjoyed that one, and until next time, bye-bye.